You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. We are learning through the book of Hosea how God depicts a relationship with his people through a metaphor that occurs throughout the Bible, though very strongly and pervasively in Hosea, this metaphor of marriage. The Lord has bounded himself to Israel in the most intimate way, likened to the most profound of human relationships. Tragically, however, Israel, God's people, have proved to be faithless. And the Lord's graphic and strong terms that we heard last week, they played the whore. God's people have committed spiritual adultery, going after other gods and forsaking their sacred relationship with the Lord. In last week's message, we graphically saw the rebellion in Gomer. She chose to be unfaithful to her husband, Hosea as God's people have chosen to be unfaithful to their true husband, the Holy God. And yet, we also saw God in his grace last week pleading for his people to repent, to come back to their true husband. We see in that pleading that he wants his people back. He wants us back. So today in this passage, we see even more amazingly God's desire for them and also for us. So follow along as I begin reading from chapter 2, verses 14, through chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, and will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Akora a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth and as the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety." And I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth to you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth to you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the, the grain and the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is adulterous. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lattice of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. 
and you shall not play the whore or, become, or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without prince or king, without sacrifice or pillar, without epit or household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the later days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this time together as we gather around this passage this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to do your work of drawing us closer to you, helping us to see how much you love us, how you are truly the one that deserves our devotion, and how committed you are to us. Do your work of grace this morning. Amen. I often think as I'm working through Hosea, what does this message mean to us? How does this story relate to us today? Who benefits from hearing this story? Embedded throughout the book of Hosea is a powerful and ever-relevant reminder of God, for God's people around the world and down through the times. God has faithfully committed himself to his people in the most personal, self-giving way possible. He is ours and we are his. He and us belong to one another. We have a committed ourselves to one another. It is nothing less than adultery then when members of God's church forsake him to flirt with the idols of this world. Whatever idols they may take in our own hearts or in various parts of the world. The importance of remaining steadfastly loyal to the Lord is not just a regional concern. All of God's people in all parts of the world are constantly tempted to compromise or even abandon faithfulness to God. The specific forms of that temptation may vary. What tempts an African believer living in Ghana, in a Ghana village, will differ from what entices a Korean believer living in Seoul, a wealthy city of vast wealth, or living in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., looking for significance. Wherever we live, however, the core battle remains. Will we be faithful to God? Or will we commit spiritual adultery like the people of God during the time of Hosea, trusting in the gods of the age in our particular corner of the world? The good news, as we will see this morning, despite God's people's utter faithfulness over many generations, and even today, God cannot forsake them once and for all. In Hosea 11, he says this, How can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My passion grows warm and tender. God speaks to his wayward, unfaithful people in terms of deep affection. He has bounded himself to us. And while we must be disciplined at times, even the pain of discipline will serve to restore them and to restore us. You see, believers today can be confident that as they trust in their true husband, they cannot finally be separated from the Lord's love for them. Even in the midst of their struggle with sin, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of persecution, and even in the midst of sickness and economic hardship. 
And so we see this this morning very clearly. God's relentless love for us, for his people. We see it in his marvelous mercy in the chapter 2 that we read and his radical redemption. Last week we saw, again, the vivid example of a messy, dysfunctional, broken family and the promise of discipline if God's people did not repent of their unfaithfulness. We see in this week's passage our true husband's intent to show mercy and redemption to this messy, dysfunctional, broken family. So again, let's look at this marvelous mercy that God woos his people in this chapters two, uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. Remember, right before this section, God promises to discipline his people if they do not repent. In fact, he pleaded with them to repent and will help them by giving these hedges to prevent them from sinning, from falling into temptation. Now we see God exerts his charm and speaks directly to the heart of his beloved, his people, to you and I this morning. In his mercy, we see four promises to his beloved. The promise of a new courtship, the promise of a a new purity of faith, a promise of a new covenant, and a promise of a new peace. Look again with me at verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, he says, Therefore, behold, I allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Just think about it. This adulterous, idolatrous Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, deserves to be cut off in anger from God and his love. They broke his heart as their divine husband. They went after other things, and yet far from the typical response of a wronged husband, God woos his people with tenderness, with terms of endearment. You see, despite God's people's long history of disobedience, he reserves, he will reverse all of this. Out of discipline, the Lord plans to create a fruitful new era in which the Exodus had promised to bring in. What has been lost in judgment, Hosea is reminding us, can be restored in mercy. Look at verses 12. The ruined vines of verse 12 were answered by the vineyards of verse 15. See, God will work powerfully among his people, taking the initiative to bring us back to himself. And as he does that, he is wanting us to respond. It will, it will be as if God were taking the nations back into the days where he redeemed it by the blood of the sacrificial lamb. He will bring the nations into the wilderness again. And when it faces up to the challenges as the Israelites face the challenge of a core, the wilderness will become a place of hope. So even in this section, we learn of Jesus, do we not? Jesus tenderly, tenderly spoke words of compassion to guilty sinners and gently wooed them to embrace life in him. Think of the Samaritan woman, right? She's coming broken to the well, and yet God speaks tenderly to her, promising her a spring of living water that he can, she can find in him. The adulterous woman where the Pharisees were wanting to throw stones at her, he offers her forgiveness and a new beginning. The thief on the cross, Jesus offers grace and salvation to him. Friends, he still speaks tenderly to us. Come and taste and see that I am good. I am your true husband. 
who is worthy of your trust. The promise of a new period of, of courtship. But we also see a new promise, the promise of a new faith in verses 16 and 17. It says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name, by name no more. Like our culture today, the northern kingdom of Israel had a messed up view of God. In this time, the fertility gods were often identified with God himself. They would call God my Baal. It's very similar to what we do today. We often hear people say, and maybe we're guilty of saying this too, all religions are the same. We all worship the same God. This is basically what the people of God were saying during the time of Hosea. But Hosea confronts this erroneous belief with very personal, intimate words from the Lord. God reminds his people that he is the only true husband, that there are no other gods like him, that these other gods that you are worshiping and you're attempting to worship are false. They cannot bring the true satisfaction that I can bring to you. You will never ever, they will never ever save you. They will never ever give you that faithful committed love that God himself can give you. So Hosea shows God's promise to renew and purify their faith in him. He will break them of their allegiance to these other gods, to this idolatry, and he will woo them into a vital relationship with himself. Again, doesn't that remind us of Jesus? Jesus himself declared that he is the true bridegroom. He is our true husband. That he is, in John 14, the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to him except, comes to the Father except through him. He himself is saying, Jesus himself is saying, I alone deserve your worship because I am your true bridegroom who brings life and brings meaning and brings significance and brings satisfaction. The promise to purify our faith, but also our promise of a new covenant. Look at 18 and 20. Listen to the intimate words that God uses in this section. He says, I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, and in steadfast love, and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. These are intimate terms that God is using. As I mentioned before, the concept of the covenant is a major theme in the book of Hosea, and we see it again here. God makes a binding oath, a promise to his people. I like how one has described these verses. He says this, so it is a bold and creative stroke by which God, instead of banning sexual imagery from religion, rescues and raises it to portray the ardent love and fidelity which are the essence of his covenant. He rescues it, wait, listen to that, and raises it to portray the ardent love and fidelity which are the essence of his covenant. See, in fact, the word betrothed gives a note of eagerness and warmth to what is promised. It makes a new beginning with all of the freshness of first love. Hey, you remember your first love, right? You're, you're, you're captivated by that first love, right? God is bringing that to, the, to their minds again. Rather than 
patching up their differences. He's promising them new life in this covenant. What's interesting about the betrothal is that it often demanded a price. It involved handing over the bride price to the girl's father, whose acceptance of it finalized the deal. Again, reminds us the promise of this covenant relationship is one of generosity. It's all of grace. The promise makes three crystal things clear. The permanence of our union that we have with God through Christ, the intimacy of this union that we have, and the fact that this union owns, 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 owes everything to God. The permanence of the union, the intimacy of the union, and the fact that this union owes everything to God. See, the promise of this new intimate relation includes righteousness, it says, and justice, and steadfast love, and mercy. These are the very qualities of God, our true husband, that brings into the marriage and what he implants in his people as well. See, it was the lack of these things in us that wrecked the marriage. So in God, in his mercy, provides us these gifts, of these quality gifts. Again, do we not learn of Jesus? In Christ, all these qualities are given and implanted in us. These are the gifts that we are to receive and we're to express. So in Christ, we are righteous, we are accepted, we're acquitted. In Christ, God dealt with his justice of needing to pay for the penalty of our, our sin's penalty of sin, right? And in justice, God met it on Christ. He dealt with it in Christ, his beloved. In Christ, we receive steadfast love, a loyal, committed, existing bond that we have with him. In Christ, we receive mercy. See, God delights to change our names to no mercy and not my people, to, to full of mercy, and you are my people, that you can now know, know me because of Christ. In Christ, we experience God's faithfulness because God has been faithful all the time, even when we are not. In Christ, we shall know the Lord. He gives us the assurance of being known and loved by God. The last promise we see in this section is a promise of new peace. Listen to what it says. It says, In that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow so for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to my, my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. Hosea ends this section with a promise of new peace. One has said this, the Bible's picture of final glory is not the medieval picture of angels floating around in space. It's men and women and glorified bodies in a glorified world. It's a picture of the sky sending rain to earth and the very land beneath our feet becoming productive to the earth as never before. That is a promise to each one of us who's in Christ. See, it is in Christ that that has been fulfilled. And again, reminds us, it reminded us last week that Gentiles too are invited to this new covenantal relationship. God's grace is to the undeserving, which includes all of us. And now we too can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. See, that is a mercy that we've been given, this marvelous mercy that God has given to his people, given to us. 
but we also see a radical redemption. Look at verses 3, 1 to 5. Let me read that again. And the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. And even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes or raisins. So I bought her, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a letuk of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days, and you shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without epit or household god. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord through the goodness in the latter days. Even in the messy and unfaithful life that Hosea's wife led, Hosea obeyed God and didn't run from her, but embraced her. My question is, what motivate her, motivated him to do that? What motivated him to obey God and to love this wife who has been unfaithful? Now, it would be an impressive enough that Hosea found that in spite of everything, he still loved his unfaithful wife and, that had, that, and had then perceived that God's love must be like that too. But listen here. It's the other way around. It was God's love that rekindled Hosea when the Lord said, go again, love her. Go again and love her. Even, he says, as the Lord loves the children of Israel. See, love her again. And then he gives, you a, he gives us a pattern to reproduce. Listen, this will not be easy for Hosea. The again in God's command face the fact that old wounds will be reopened. Think of hard relationships that you've had, right? And you're, you're, you're committed to going back to that, that relationship. Old wounds are going to reopen. And, and, and that what happened once may happen again. The adultery is probably still in progress, right? It's, there's been no isolated lapse of her unfaithfulness. But a complete desertion which added to painful insult to injury. And so we see as Hosea is experiencing that, struggling with that, we see that his love is heroic. But that is the point. For it is, but for it is God's love for us in miniature. Now I need to ask you, husbands, how would you have reacted? How would I would have acted if my wife was unfaithful like Gomer? Bitterness, revenge, self-righteousness, anger, regret. I'm certain many sleepless nights, tempted to give up on her, wondering if she would ever or could ever change, deciding to move on or to move out or be committed to find another woman who's more faithful. Perhaps Hosea captures, like no other Old Testament writer does, the tension with God's love for his children. For he refuses to ease the pain of the relationship either by compromise or by quitting. He loves his people despite their blatant unfaithfulness, which he cannot for a moment condone, 
and despite their foolish, nonsensical, and offensive scale of values. Look, four times in this verse one, he speaks of love. The first pair speak of pure devotion that God has, and the second pair speaks of gross infatuation that God's people demonstrated, which is a contrast, right? That the base of Israel's love is ultimately shown in eating cakes of raisin, that they are settling for food to satisfy them more than the living God, more than their true husband. See, food may satisfy for a moment, but it brings no lasting satisfaction. Con- contrast with God's faithful love, his love is life-giving, it's fulfilling, it's loyal, it's good for us. Versus infatuated love, which is empty, fickle, selfish, and not really good for us. See, it is God's love for Homer that motivated him, Hosea, God's love for Hosea that motiv- motivated him to love Gomer. And doesn't Apostle Paul reminds us that as well, that what motivates us What motivates us to live before him? What motivates us to love others? It's the love of Christ that controls us, that propels us, that motivates us to love in this radical way. We do see now this love demonstrated, displayed in verses 2-3. God commands Hosea to redeem his wife and bring her home, but he had to buy her back, right? Gomer was in a desperate situation in which her adultery left her. We don't know the exact reasons for the purchase. Was it debt that she owed? Was it that she was enslaved? Was she a prostitute working for an owner? Or was, the, was this compensation paid to a lover, her, her loving boyfriend? We're not sure. Nor are we told of Hosea's exact feelings, only that he had to scrap enough money to pay the price to pay for her redemption. In Scripture, more often than not, love is practical first, emotional second, but is always known by its fruit. Redeeming love has both a devoted will and a genuine warmth. In fact, the single word bought, we learn how far Gomer had fallen, how tightly she was held, and what was the first step that Hosea has to take to fulfill the command to love her. Right In the parallel account in, in Hosea 1, 2 to 11, Hosea begins an autobiographical family narrative that we now see in verses 1 and 3. His wife had returned to her former way of life as a, as a worship prostitute or whatever, and God commanded Hosea to show love to her again. So he purchased Gomer and brought her home. But that's not foreign to God. God will always pay the necessary price to bring his people home. That's how committed he is to you and to me. Throughout the Bible, throughout biblical history, God buys back his people at great cost to himself. Hosea paid what he needed to redeem Gomer. God does the same, but more. Sin sets up for us bondage. We're enslaved, right? Israel has become so enslaved to the idols that God had to pay the price to get them released. God's act of redeeming his people was always at the cost of himself. Where do we see that? Look to Jesus, right? God's beloved son 
was a payment for your sins and my sins, past, present, and future. See, God's radical price was paid for his beloved son, the one that he had the most intimate relationship, right? He sent his son down to pay the ransom that we could never pay to free us from our sin, to bring us into a forever relationship with God, to bring us home to our true lover, Jesus. See, this is what God is offering us. Marvelous mercy, but radical redemption. Are you, am I, enthralled of this lover of our soul that he would do that great thing personally for you and for me? What's interesting, he ends this section in a note of purification. What happens as he brings Gomer back? He segregates her from all that had drawn her away. He separates, this separation will result in restoration of, of, of having a, a strong marriage again. But the greater application of Hosea command to Gomer is the purification of God's people, which will occur when they are separated through exile for this particular group of people from everything that has fueled their spiritual idolatry and adultery. But friends, God's purification process still is for us today. It may be painful, but it's always designed to be restorative and will always result ultimately in blessing for his people wherever they are. See, God still delights to purify us. He may ask you to remove yourself from people or places that compete for his love because God is so committed to restoring you and, and helping you to see that he is your ultimate lover, that there's no one other than him. God is that serious to his devotion to us. But what's good news is that he provides us all the resources for you to grow in that relationship with him. He has provided a marvelous mercy and a radical redemption in Christ. Hosea sobers us with the realization that the human marriage relationship is instituted by God to portray even a more profound relationship, that of God to his people. Whatever human beings call on God's name through Jesus Christ, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their background, God enters into a covenant relationship with us. And this is absolutely his deal. What does he, and I want us to end here, God always pledges never to leave us nor forsake us in this relationship. And ultimately, God secures this relationship through sending his own son to redeem a people for himself. The worldwide church, the local church, every Christian here is therefore the bride of Christ. We are his betrothed that he intimately wants to enter into a relationship with. He intimately wants us to understand and marvel and be motivated at this great love that we have received so that we then can love him and love others in a way that honors him and blesses others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Hosea because it reminds me how often that I look to other lovers other than you. How often I am so easily infatuated by other things in my life. I forget how, how faithful you are to me. Maybe there's others that wrestle with that as well. And Lord, help us. Help us to remind us of this 
of this pursuit that you have for us, that how relentless you are to redeem us and to restore us and to move within us, to break us of our things that we want to go to that only can bring emptiness, that only, and remind us that it's only you that bring us true satisfaction and mercy and grace. Thank you, Jesus, for providing all of this for us, that you are our true husband. We are your bridegroom that you're always wooing, that you're always bringing, always fighting for. You will not give up on us. And we are so thankful that we have a God who knows what's best for us. We have a God who knows what we need. And we have a God who has fulfilled that need in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. May we more and more be enthralled by that amazing, relentless love that you have for us. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org.